Jeg lave. Det er okay. <laughs> okay. I wasn't breathing. You can hear me breathing. I, I'm like, I can't see mom's size on the waveform. I think she might be dead. <laughs> I was holding my breath momentarily just to see what would happen. <laughs> I thought we had stopped recording. That's what happened. <laughs> We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Freudian Sips. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And here we go again. We sound so professional when we do that now. Do we? I think it sounds a little corny. But I'm not sure. Is that not our brand? (laughs) I know. Might be our our brand. Can't be corny. Can't be corny. I don't know. We should maybe jazz it up a little. We'll work on it. But, you know. We're on episode 21. We're old enough to drink. (laughs) Happy birthday podcast. Every single episode is a birthday for this podcast. Uh, That's right. Yes. And we are finally getting to the end of Erickson's stages. We are. It's going to be the last one today. This is part 42, I think. (laughs) Sure feels like it. First, we have a review on iTunes that I would like to read you because I know you probably don't pop over to iTunes very much. (laughs) Call me out. Just call me out on my bad technology. Everyone (laughs) knows. Come on. Yeah, it's common knowledge by Sorry this for point. the old lady. But this review is from Emily Lee, and it says, This mom and daughter duo are so funny, and their repertoire is sweet and fun to listen in on. Oh, and the info in the episodes is interesting, too. Five stars. Aww. Very sweet. Thank you, Emily, Emily Lee. Awesome. Just wanted to pop in and say that, because... Thank you. I, I very much appreciate when we get a new review. And we always ask for those at the end of every podcast. Yeah. So, Emily, good job. Emily, I'm following, following directions. directions. <laughs> Yay. Mom's real big on following directions. Yes, follow directions. When you teach little kids, <laughs> that's a big deal. Make wise choices. Mom would say to her little kindergartners. And they would keep running around the room and pulling boogers out and eating paste. I said those same things to you and your brother when you were little. Make True. wise choices. True. And follow directions. These are the, <laughs> Look these, at us now. These are the triggers to your uh, PTSD from I your know. childhood, Anna. I know. I'm, I'm in a ball on the floor. You guys can't see me. <laughs> Rocking back and forth. <laughs> okay. What else? That's it. That's my only... Okay. I know. I've had a lot of pre-roll lately. I know. You have. I usually <laughs> have all kinds of things no, to tell that's, me. That's you know? my only one. Okay. Well, you want to tell them about our drink today? Oh, I would love to tell them about our drink. We are drinking something themed again, because whenever I can think of a theme, we use it. And we are drinking old fashions today. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about the later stages of life and the olds. The olds. The olds. So we're drinking old fashions. If you don't know what an old fashioned is, it's, we used simple syrup, which is just like equal parts sugar and water. Which Anna cooked. I did. I had to boil water to make a drink. 
So that that's cooking. Not, yeah. That's legally cooking. That's my level of <laughs> plus one. So I learned it from watching. My I was going to say, <laughs> boiling water was her mother's extent of teaching. So I just use like a cup of water and a cup of sugar, and you just you literally just boil it to a simmer, and then let the sugar dissolve, and that's simple syrup. And then you use a teaspoon or two of that, and then you use a dash of bitters, and then you use two-ish ounces of. We're using whiskey, but you can use rum. This. We- we would recommend whiskey. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is very good. We're using we would recommend. Like, whiskey. we really know it. Yeah, we are connoisseurs <laughs> of old fashions. This is the first old fashioned I've ever had. My brother-in-law makes awesome old fashions. Yes. And then you put a cherry in it because it seems classier then. Or sometimes you put two cherries because mom <laughs> likes those cherries. <laughs> when I, I just Mama made mom likes her cherries. second drink and she was like, put like eight cherries in. <laughs> so... Those are her favorite. <laughs> Life's too short. You got to, you know, get the things that really matter. So if you would like to make an old-fashioned for yourself, pause the episode, go make one, come back, listen to it. You probably have to go get stuff. I certainly did not have bitters on hand before I decided to make this drink. I guess if you had like a bar in your house. Yeah, I guess. Like a wet bar. That? Yeah, people do that. We what's don't. What's a wet bar? <laughs> what's a dry bar? What's a wet bar? Wet bar has like a sink in it so you can oh. like have water. It's not just like a bar that you spilled something on and like, ah. <laughs> that's a messy bar. That's a messy, that's a dirty bar. A dirty, dirty bar. A dirty bar. A dirty bar. <laughs> oh, we should stop that. <laughs> Let's never do that again. Let's never do that again. I like how every episode we figure out something <laughs> that we should never do again. Real quick. It's always like two minutes in and we're like, ooh, that's the one. Mm, that's it. Yep. We shouldn't do that. And there's always a word I can't say. <laughs> Got a lot of running gags yeah, here. we do. We do. So if this is the first time you've listened to our podcast, we encourage you to go back and listen to the other ones and see how we do have these running gags. And it is kind of a weird time to jump in because we're like kind of toward the end of Erickson's stages. Yeah. So we're this kinda... is like starting a chapter book on like the second to last chapter exactly we're going down the hill on this episode baby <laughs> we, we're getting over the hill and then we're going down the other we side we kind of start the hill toward the top today yeah we've kind of gotten up to the top of the hill we're at the top of the hill okay we've walked okay. all the way up the hill and it feels like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we do hope that you've maybe, if you've been listening to the podcast with Erickson's stages, that you've either maybe learned something new or, or been like reminded of things you probably heard in school at yeah, some at point. Yeah, at some point. Even if you didn't really take many psychology courses, these things are pretty pervasive in just lifespan development theory. So mm-hmm. sometimes you can kind of pick them up by osmosis. Mm-hmm. Mom, should I give the people, and you, you are a people. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for noticing. <laughs> a, re- a recap on basic psychology. Give us a quick recap she is finger gunning me so hard right now <laughs> pew, 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 ah, ah, ah. dead on psychosocial yeah. stages baby yes. so if you don't know if you are refusing to follow directions and listen to our <laughs> first episodes on this these you're a rebel psychosocial stages were created by eric erickson and he made them as kind of a compare contrast thing with psychosexual stages uh like freud made up mm-hmm made up he just he was like one day (laughs) i mean freud did did. (laughs) with freud especially but erickson's are more uh they cover the whole lifespan they center around our identities and how we relate to other people each stage has a crisis that's kind of what the stage is built around and the crisis is a versus b so like in infancy it's trust versus mistrust 
And you resolve this crisis by using what we call a central process. And if you resolve the crisis well, so you have more of A than B, basically, you take forward a positive virtue or ego quality. And then if you don't resolve the crisis well, you take forward a negative pathology. Womp womp. Dun dun dun. That's a bad <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And last podcast. Dun 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 and womp womp are two very different sound effects. <laughs> we need to address this. So you have to be sure it shows in your voice. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Inflection matters. <laughs> so last podcast, Anna got to do her stage, which was early adulthood. Yeah. Um, and so this week I get to start by talking about my stage, which is middle adulthood. <laughs> we are very mature in middle adulthood. Don't talk like that first. <laughs> so I'm going to talk like that no. for the whole episode. Because I'm mature. Um, and we've talked about before how the stages sometimes span a wide range, and so a lot happens in that stage. Well, middle adulthood is, for our purposes, 34 through 60, which is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked especially about how like early adolescence was 12 to 18, and we talked about, wow, how different it is to be 12 versus 18. Right. But think about for a moment how different it is to be 34 versus 60. And everything that's gone on in your life. And just kind of in a real personal note was that before I, I, when I did the research and then I sat down and kind of did my own little timeline of 34 to where I am now, which I'm not to 60 yet, but it's it's looming somewhere it's, down the road. It's coming. And, and to just look at the things that have changed in my life since yeah. I was 34. I mean, huge milestones stuff. And we've talked in the past too about how our culture changing the way it is has changed some of these stages a little bit. And specifically for this one, I would say that years ago, when Erickson had his stages, as a 34-year-old, you would probably be finished childbearing. However, that's not true at all anymore. That's, and actually, yeah. some people have just started at 34. I was so. going to say, the, we kind of talked about this in our last episode, how the perception of childbearing is changing to... Mm-hmm waiting later because of like focusing on your career and making sure you're financially stable and all that kind of stuff and I think it's more and more likely that people aren't having kids until they're at least 30 if not right 32 34 right. the other end of that is retirement has been pushed back yeah. um, retirement isn't in the stage like anymore in retirement you, know, you don't even think about it no. when you're 60 so and years ago they did people yeah. would retire you know between 55 and 60 sometimes and I mean sometimes people still do there are always exceptions but I don't who, know. Very, who has I don't the know money <laughs> to retire at 55? So in this stage, a person can go from perhaps being a new parent, like having a baby at 34 or even a little older than that, to being grandparents and caring for aging parents of their own. Sometimes in this stage, unfortunately, um, there are divorces. There are in earlier stages too, but and deaths, um, because even though they're not getting very old, this is that point where we start to see some of our friends passing right. away. For women, we see menopause toward the end of the stage which is a whole issue unto <laughs> itself and yet even though all these things are happening and even though we feel like well we're fully developed we're middle adults I'm sorry I always go into that voice <laughs> fully developed middle adults yes. <laughs> uh, we still <laughs> we still have developmental tasks because we're still developing we're still, well, I mean that's what mm-hmm. that's what Erickson's theory says is that you are developing constantly throughout the life that, that development never ch- right. stops which actually I really like yeah I really like that we never stop growing we yeah. never stop learning that's like a huge thing to me personally mm-hmm. you never want to stop growing so uh, let's zip through the word. wow that wasn't a word I don't think technically that was a word that's all folks that's exactly 
exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it's so weird how sometimes, as we were uh, in the store and I was collecting accoutrement to make the... Oh, that's a good word. Thank you. To make the old fashions, I said, like, I was trying to figure out whether to get whiskey or uh, rum. rum and and i said well do you want me to spoil the surprise i'm making old fashions i said that to mom and she goes i thought that last week <laughs> and i didn't say it because making the drinks is not my department no but i, I take but i thought we're, we're getting the old thing so yeah. old-fashioned old fashions yeah we do think a little bit alike sometimes. A little bit. Sometimes. Sometimes we're very different. Yeah. I would say mostly lot. we think a lot alike. Yeah, yeah, most of the time. Okay. Uh, so developmental tasks. The first one is managing a career, which makes perfect sense. We talked last time about getting into that career. And now between 34 and 60, we're at a point where we are managing it. We are trying to figure out, you know, how we can make a living. And this is another thing that's really changed with our culture is that years ago, you would get into a career, you get into a job and you'd basically work it until either the job ended for some probably unfortunate reason, like a company Mm -hmm. closing. It wouldn't be because you changed your mind, you wanted to go do something else. You would stay till you had to leave. Right. That's, that's very different now. I do. Oh, I do have, my cousin is a person who retired before she was 60 because she just retired, and she's like two or three years younger than me. But she's one of those people that was in IT, and she went into it right out of college. And she's and her husband there. did too, and she stayed in the same company. Did she like it? Was she happy there? I believe so, yes. Okay. And I'm sure she was very good at her job. Sure. And so she just recently retired. She's young. That kind of pisses me off a little bit. <laughs> You're like, cool, so, I'll be over here working. Yeah. So, Renee, if you listen to this <laughs> podcast, you kind of piss me off with the whole retirement <laughs> thing. I was just talking to someone. Um, I ran into my English teacher from high school, my favorite. Hi, hi. She knows who she is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say her. I'm not she gonna know who she, she is. Know who she is. We were talking about how that has been the norm for a long time. Right. Going into a career, staying in a career for your whole life. And she even said that she she just recently retired as well. And she said, well, I was a teacher for, you know, 30 plus years, but I had other things to kind of fill my interests in other areas. So mm-hmm. it's not like she was stuck in one place. Right. But I think that's what a lot of people find is that they just get in one place and they stagnate. Right. But like careers like being a nurse or being a teacher, you might stay a teacher for your whole career life, but yeah. you probably work in more Do than one place. Things. Yeah. yeah. And same way with like nursing. You might be a nurse your whole career, but you nurse in different areas. areas and with yeah. different. Okay, so while we're managing our careers, there are reasons that we in our middle adulthood change our career. And there's five main reasons. The first one is because your career just ends because you age out. So the quickest way to think of that would be like if you're a professional athlete. If oh. you're a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals and you <laughs> age out and you can't keep pitching anymore, yeah. you're probably going to become, I don't know, one of those people that talk on the radio about baseball or a coach or something. That happens when you're like 34. <laughs> that happens at the beginning of this stage. But that can also happen like like if you're a construction person who just can't physically physical keep stuff. up. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who's a nurse who mm. just couldn't continue to do the skill, you know, the the lifting and all that yeah. that a nurse has to do. So sometimes we physically age out and so we have to change our careers. Um, a second reason is because we can't resolve conflicts between the demands of the job and our personal goals. So Part of that might be our family. Yeah. We might be in a career that just takes too much time and we want to have more time with our children and perhaps eventually our grandchildren. A third reason we change careers is because we've basically gone as far as we can go in the career that we are. And so perhaps our expertise has become obsolete. If we were in IT and we just don't really want to change all that with the growth and we 
Right. On the other hand, you know, you hear all that about the glass ceiling for women, especially that there are glass ceilings for different jobs. Yeah. Just feel Um, like you can't move any farther. A fourth reason we change our career is because our family transitions. One of those might be we need to take care of our children, or it might be that we have to take care of our parents. And so we have to change our career. And the last one is the most unfortunate, probably, and that is if we get laid off, a company closes, those kind of things. So if it's not our choice at all. So if it is our choice to change our career, it's kind of a positive thing. If, like, let's say that you're doing one job and you all of a sudden decide to go back and get your master's degree (laughs) and completely change your career then that's your choice and it's a positive growth kind of thing. Unfortunately, a lot of times in midlife, it's not a positive thing because no. you didn't really want that to happen and now you're in this place. And joblessness is a big thing yeah. in this age group too that happens. When we're so busy dealing with all of this career stuff, there are three specific things that happen as far as with us Anna, as counselors that we maybe see in our clients. Because I don't know about you, I know you've talked about having a lot of adolescent clients, and I do as well. Mm-hmm. But my next group that would be there would be this group. Really? Like 34 to 50-ish. Yeah. Where they hit this point in their life where there's all this stress on them. There's just so much going on, right? Right. And so three terms that we talk about in a mental health field are role overload. Do you remember this from grad school? I do. I'm getting flashbacks. I know. Role overload, which means, you know, just basically there's too much going on. Holy crap, you got to do this over here, then you got to go do this. You just got too much. You're exhausted and you're stressed. Which is, I mean, God, we're getting to that point with younger kids too. I was going to say, that can happen at several different stages. I have one of my adolescents we've had to talk about which extracurricular she's going to give up just mm -hmm. because she has too much on her plate. That's a perfect example. That's role overload. Role conflict is when our career and our other parts of our life conflict against each other. And, and again, this might be you're a person who has to work 50 hours a week, but you're missing all your kids' stuff. Um, so you have to decide, do I want to right. pull back from my career or... Pull back from my kids, Yeah, basically. Unfortunately. And the last one is role spillover, which kind of sounds like both of them put together, which is when you bring work home with you. And the stress of work gives you anxiety at home. So you worry about... And gosh, it's hard for me to think of a career where that doesn't happen. I believe, having worked with people in different careers and having been friends with people in different careers that some people are just built for different careers Mm -hmm. I truly do believe that there are just certain people that can handle certain careers without letting it affect them and that maybe they wouldn't be able to do that in a different job but if they find the right job they can right my perspective on that is that we're given certain gifts by God Okay. And we're designed to be like how you always, Anna. Whenever okay. I say God, you get this look on your face like, oh shit, here we go, here we go. Okay, <laughs> the soapbox is out. It's, we all have our soapboxes. It's fine. Mine is God. All right, I buy soapboxes. God, your soapbox brings you a little closer to God when you stand on it. <laughs> he made me five foot tall. I need my he had soapbox. To give you a soapbox to get closer to God. <laughs> so managing our career is the first one. <laughs> The second developmental task is nurturing an intimate relationship, which makes perfect sense. Which just is a continuation from our last stage. Exactly. Which we've talked about that being a theme in Mm -hmm. that, okay, here's this developmental task that's just a continuation of last stage's developmental task. Exactly. In a survey I found from AARP... Which is we are getting into middle adulthood. That's right. (laughs) This is the stage where you start getting a senior discount. You're 55. You get a senior discount at some places. So I just middle. I know. That's just middle senior. That's what I'm saying. 
I remember my grandma, your mother, used to, uh, we used to go through the Hardee's drive-thru and she used to have like a little mug and she put two quarters on top of it and they would like rattle around and she would hand the cup in and go, senior discount with coffee, please. Because it cost 50 cents. I love that you have that memory of mom. <laughs> Rattle, rattle, rattle. She wasn't ashamed of her senior discount. <laughs> she loved it. She's like, finally, <laughs> finally they're going to give me a discount. I so deserve the senior <laughs> I discount. I deserve this. <laughs> so this survey, which is one of those surveys that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, right, says 90, this is interesting though, 90% of men surveyed and 86% of women surveyed in middle adulthood said that having a good relationship with a spouse or a partner was very important to their quality of life. So this is what I, the first thing I thought was 90%. We already know that like 50% of people get divorced. But, but so what, what I'm thinking is uh, my life would be better if I had a better relationship exactly. with a significant other. It doesn't say whether or not they have one. They're right. just saying it's really important. But I thought it was really unique that 90% of men, but 86% of women. So by this point, we're more likely to be like, no. Well, this point in life, exactly. <laughs> you hit towards 60 and you're like, the men are like, yeah, I need my, my significant other to be taken care of. Sorry, guys. I need my significant other to be taken care of me. And the women are like, screw it. She I want to go sorry, have some and then fun just with that. going on that track. She's like, sorry, but this is really sorry, how I this, feel. And I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> Get ready for a big old truth bullet. <laughs> I didn't know how Truth quite to phrase bullet. that. <laughs> so, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Indeed, 34 to 60, right in there somewhere, uh, we hit that thing that has been called the midlife crisis, which is not like an official term of psychology. However, there's that crisis is. again. We have yeah. already have a crisis. Hey, what's our crisis in this stage? Uh, you want to know that? The you crisis is say it. generativity versus stagnation those are words generativity versus stagnation okay okay keep that in but this is a different crisis which we call midlife crisis which was actually that term was coined by a canadian psychologist but it's kind of based on carl Jung's stuff sure about hitting that that point where we have that feeling like i'm not accomplishing what i want to accomplish and again i feel like the midlife crisis happens earlier now there's, I mean, they're like quarter life crisis is a thing that I've heard before. I think it happens earlier as a different kind of, but I also think it happens later as midlife crisis. Because sure. it, think about it, if you're 55 and having a midlife crisis, that means you're going to live to be 110. I, well, I don't <laughs> think the crisis times itself for like exactly when you're going to die. <laughs> I, I think, think it does. I don't think your brain's like, <laughs> you only I, have this much time I'm going to live to 108, so I have to have it when ding, I'm ding, 54. Ding, ding, it's time. <laughs> Anna? You're so picky. <laughs> you are so picky. It's poking holes. That's what I, that's <laughs> I, what I do. do. That's what you do that's for what me. I do when I'm not talking. <laughs> so as far as nurturing intimate relationships, so many things are happening during this time in our life. And again, it's the span. So it depends on if you're 34 or if you're 58 or wherever you fall in between 34 and 60. A lot of things are happening that affect your intimate relationship, like the fact that your children are aging and perhaps leaving home. You might be facing empty nest which causes a whole different dynamic in your intimate relationship. You also might be dealing with the parent stuff, that your parents are aging and need you. And you also, quite frankly, might be dealing with physical stuff. You know, the the woman, if there's a woman in the relationship, she might be going through menopause. Um, there might be physical illnesses, things that cause differences in your intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge thing. It is a fact, unfortunately, that divorces uh, in latter years – 
for those over 50 since the 1990s have doubled. Mm. They're still much less than younger years, but still um, they call them gray divorces. People over 50 getting a divorce, they have doubled. Gray. gray. Why do they call them gray? Gray divorces because they're getting old, their hair's gray. Oh, gray. seems rude. <laughs> It's, it's just a divorce. But yeah. Judge. <laughs> but, you know, if you think about, but they're quick to say a lot of that is because we're talking second or third marriages. Mm. Because second or third marriages are more likely to yeah, end in divorce fail. than a first marriage. Yeah. So if you've made it with your first marriage to your 50s, you're probably probably good. However, those are on the rise as well. So that's a change in our culture. Okay. The third developmental task is expanding our caring relationships. I like this one, actually. So our kids grow up and become adults, like my baby Anna Banana. I'm an adult. It's me. (laughs) I'm the adult. she is adulting. (laughs) And she has graduated. Both of my babies have graduated and and have good careers. And my relationship with them now is very different than when they were little. And that's a a big change. But it's expanding my caring relationships. I'm learning to deal differently you're much sassier now than when you... Well, not really. I don't think that's true. Just a true. different kind of... <laughs> <laughs> and of course, um, many times in this in this age range, we start to learn how to be a grandma or a grandpa. That's something that happens. Uh, so grandparenthood is part of this. And unfortunately, um, we also, in this age, become that what we call the sandwich generation, where we're still taking care of children. You just eat a lot of sandwiches in this stage. I wish that was <laughs> Just peanut butter and like jelly, bologna, just all of them. Bologna and bananas. Um, what? Did you ever have a bologna banana sandwich? No. I've, I've had a peanut banana. butter and banana. Yeah, I have too, but... When I was a kid, one time we ran out of peanut butter. So mom was like, all I got is... <laughs> like she had half the sandwich made. She had the banana slice and she was like, oh, there's no peanut butter. I'll just slap on a piece of bologna. It was the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. I have trauma from that. But we got like oh all the food Oh my gosh. Groups. <laughs> See, now you know where I learned how to cook. <laughs> You're a little judgmental of my cooking oh, skills. Oh man. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> It's close. And it's, it's a protein. Was <laughs> was Mama in this stage of life when she made that, or had she given up? <laughs> was she going through her midlife crisis and she's like, it's fine. I think, she was. <laughs> I think that's exactly what was happening. Oh man! Mm-hmm. Oh, my stomach's like clenching. <laughs> so actually, the sandwich generation. Sure. Actually, yes. Seriously, now. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I joked. It's a serious topic is when we have children that we're still caring for and our parents need care. So we're caring for the younger generation and the older generation at the same time. And you you might know or you might yourself listening to this podcast be one of those people that you know how that is to take right. care of your aging parents. Because then where do you put your priorities? Uh-huh. And then, you know, time. your parents are taking time away from your children and vice versa. And you have all that guilt and stress. So that can add to stress in midlife. Finally, the last one is managing the household. And when I hear that, I think of like paying the bills for the house and make sure the taxes are paid and mowing the grass and fixing the plumbing and yes that is part of midlife but it's more than that it's it's the household is more the people who are under your care Mm -hmm. so that falls back into the other category where your parents and your children are there and in midlife there are an increased number of one parent families and there are lots and lots of blended families oh yeah which adds a whole dimension to the conversation of stress 
because boy, that's stressful. That's a lot. That's a lot to. <laughs> that's a lot. So those are the developmental tasks of the midlife. And I, I mentioned before because Anna asked very pointedly what the crisis was for this area, and it is generativity versus stagnation. Erickson says that generativity, this is a quote from him, generativity encompasses procreativity, productivity, and creativity. That's a lot of itties. <laughs> and thus, the generation of, of new beings, as well as new products and new ideas, including a kind of self-generation concerned with furthering identity development. So generativity is wanting to look forward to the future and make sure that the future is taken care of, mm-hmm. whether that's having children and raising them properly or whether that's taking care of the earth or creating what I can create in my business, in my career right. to make the future brighter. Um, that's all part of generativity. The opposite of that, the stagnation part, is the absence of investment in growth for yourself or others. That sounds nasty, doesn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> so it's a real self-centeredness. And this is where kind of like narcissism comes in. Yeah. And also depression, unfortunately. This is kind of what pulls those middle adulthood people into depression. Like they look at their life and they're like, I, you know, I'm not creating anything. Right. I want to go back for just a second about creativity and procreativity. You don't have to be a parent to enjoy generativity. Because, I mean, I think of it, the first thing I think of when I hear the word generativity is I created two awesome people who are now adults and have good careers and they're good people and they're adding to the world. But if I were not a parent, I could still have generativity. Right. Because I could leave a legacy of good behind when I go. And so that's kind of part of that. If I fall on the other side of stagnation, I kind of turn inward, which is what that depression is, and the narcissism and like, you know, I just want to try to take care of me and... And I don't really care about the future or the world. So we always talk about in every stage that there's a prime adaptive ego quality or sometimes called a virtue. For this stage, it's care, which I love. Unfortunately, the opposite side of that, the core pathology is rejectivity. There's another itty. <laughs> okay. So yeah. care kind of speaks for itself, right? And it's the only not, one that's not an itty. I know. Carity. Carity. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, like a work. lot of carrots. carrots. Care is like going forward. Remember that we take each prime adaptive ego quality and go forward into the next stage. So I'm going forward from my midlife with this quality of care, which means I care for my children, I care for my parents, I care for my world, I care for what I'm leaving behind as my legacy. The opposite of that, unfortunately, would be like pushing away and saying, the only thing I really care about is is this. And we have like that kind of narrow vision of what I care for. There's a couple of ways to look at this, but the main, the heart of it is that rejectivity is pushing away other things that we don't care about basically, Mm. and not having an openness to caring. This is kind of where racism comes from and all kinds of prejudices Hmm. that make us say, well, I care about what I believe and I care about what I want the country to be. And so screw the rest of you who don't believe the same thing I believe. And on the worst side of that spectrum is like things like real serious racism. and Which is very interesting because in the kind of social climate we have – I see a lot of people that are my age and younger saying, oh, it's just because they're older and that's what they grew up with, which Mm -hmm. I do think is a big part of it. I mean, I I think social culture that, you know, older people grew up with is part of it. But also it sounds like that's just part of, I mean, we might be in danger of going through the same thing when we get to that stage. Exactly. So that's terrifying. Well, that's (laughs) kind of like that thing about, you know, your music. 
your music is the devil's music. <laughs> I mean, like the people, the, the kids who grew up in the 60s heard their parents saying, you know, your music is right. the devil's music. And then the kids in the 70s heard their parents and the kids in the 80s. And the, right. we do that every generation, even though like the kids who grew up with the Beatles are still saying the music today is yucky and right, whatever. Right. So yeah, I agree that it's kind it's of an age. It's just not wanting change. Right, exactly. It's, an, it's definitely just what we go through when we hit a certain age. So our ideal situation is that we want to move forward with winning that edge that is generativity. And in doing so, we will then have care and we will be able to move on into our next stage. Which is later adulthood, 60 to 75. And before we do that, we are going to take a short break. Oh my God, we have to take the intro again. Hello. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Welcome back. I'm so sorry. Anna's been traumatized. (laughs) It's been... Deep breathing, It's been, I don't know, maybe like two (laughs) minutes for you guys, but it's been (laughs) 20 for us. I had a little bit of a heat stroke in the room where we were recording, and then we've had technical (laughs) difficulties. It's just been very hard. (laughs) It's real life, baby. It's real life. This is uncut, is us. That's not true. I edit these very heavily. So let's go. (laughs) I just had one of my cherries from my old fashioned and it was delightful. It's the best part of it, as mm-hmm. mom said. Mm-hmm. So we're moving from middle adulthood to later adulthood, mm-hmm. appropriately enough. Later adulthood is age 60 to 75. The crisis of the stage is integrity versus despair, to just keep in your head while we talk about this. Mm-hmm. But first, the developmental tasks. The first one is accepting one's life, which sounds pretty ominous. These keep getting progressively more ominous as we go That's along. Because you're running out of time, so they get serious. <laughs> it's, it's mom with cherry mouth. I have another cherry. Are you like, are you going to tie the stem I in wish it? I had like six of them. I'm not. I never learned how to do that. Do Sorry. <laughs> Do you want one for mine? No. Okay. Thank you, though. Okay. That's very sweet of you to share. <laughs> so accepting one's life is about achieving a sense of basically satisfaction by accepting both what you've already done in life, but also what you're still doing. Uh, so what's still going on in your life when you're in this stage. And it's about balancing opportunities with resources. So this is where, like you talked about retirement in your mm-hmm. stage, this is where kind of balancing that financial resource comes in if you're kind of on a fixed budget. And also about balancing your life goals with your life satisfaction and how you've achieved those goals. This is mainly achieved through what's called the, I'm going to call it the sock model. It's <laughs> That sounds it's, inappropriate. It's SOC. <laughs> oh, okay. Sock means selection, optimization, and compensation. So selection means finding and choosing the opportunities that you want to take. Optimization means allocating the resources that you need Mm -hmm. to do those opportunities. And then compensation means kind of when you have to balance, like taking resources away from one thing to be able to do another. Hmm. And so that could be time. It could be money. It just is about balancing resources with your satisfaction and what you want to accomplish. Someday, if you do a career change, you maybe should go into marketing. Why? <laughs> I think you have a marketing talent. What does that mean? Is that a compliment? Okay. Yes. Okay. Sounds like you're calling me a shark a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a compliment, too. <laughs> oh, thanks. You're welcome. Chomp, chomp, chomp. <laughs> Anna Shark, Anna Shark, whatever that song is. Anna Shark, do, 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 do. <laughs> Uh, next. Oh, I thought we agreed not to sing again. Oh, that was a lesson. We will ignore that lesson. Yeah, sorry, guys. We're not sorry. We're going to keep doing it. <laughs> the next task is promoting intellectual vigor. Vigor. 
It's a fun word. That's a weird word, it's actually. It's a fun word. Vigor. Vigor. Usually you see your vigorous. That's true. Yeah. But vigor is the root word. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> thanks, Madam English. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this has been Madam English with Bonnie and Anna. That's another thing. You should do like a kid show. <laughs> Madam English. Madam Eng- is that like Miss Frizzle's distant cousin? Yes. And you could do punctuation and diagram sentences. Oh, fun. Okay, like I'm you in. Like to I'm do. in. I if know. someone wants to pitch Madam English to a television network... <laughs> Tell me. I can't think of many children who would be like, woo, I want to go watch Madam English. Well, that's about, listen, people didn't want to go on a magic school bus and jump into the kids' bodies without Mrs. Frizzle. It's all about having a good mascot. (laughs) That's a very positive way to reframe that, Anna. (laughs) Thanks. So vigor, intellectual vigor, something we clearly don't have. So, okay, so this is interesting. In studies of older generations' cognitive functioning, the researchers have to differentiate between historical factors and actual developmental change. So basically what that means is when we look at people who are older, especially in in this generation, the older generation that we are currently in. Right. There was, like, less access to higher education than there is now. Right. So is the intellectual vigor that they didn't have the opportunity to foster that when they had more neuroplasticity? Or is it that their brains are literally degenerating as they get older? Ooh. Or is it some mix of both? Like, that's why studies of this time... (laughs) Sorry, we, we had to move to a different room because of the heat and... My cat has access to the room now, and my mom is not going to I'm pay a little attention. distracted. <laughs> a kitty cat? There's a cat? Where? Where is the cat? I will play with your kitty cat. It's my intellectual vigor, okay. Anna. Is, your, is cats? Yes. Cats are your intellectual vigor? They are. There she is. I know, Bubby. Okay, so this also goes back to our definition of intelligence and how what we did in life... Not like in like a Jacob Marley way. (laughs) The chains I forged in life, that kind of way. No, but like what we did kind of career-wise in our life affects Mm -hmm. our cognitive functioning later. Kind of a practice makes perfect situation. So if you were in a career where you used your brain more, like if you were an engineer or something, then your intellectual vigor as you get older is going to generally be more stable just because you used it more. You kept exercising that. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we lose it entirely. Right. Like even as we're older, like it's kind of harder to learn new things, especially we don't have as much... the term neuroplasticity that just means our brains can learn things better so we have less of that as we get older but doesn't mean that we can't i mean as we get older if we do keep doing you know even things like word puzzles or sudoku or whatever yeah i remember my dad used to do those word puzzles all the time toward the end of his life because someone had told him that that would keep his brain active so he did it all the time (laughs) (laughs) so he listened to them good job he followed directions There are things that do decline with our age. So things like our reaction time, things like our visual motor flexibility, things like our memory, these do. There is research that says these things decline with our age. Mm -hmm. Also in this category, we're in post-formal thought. So we've talked a few times about the Kohlberg stages of like morality and kind of how we think about things. Right. And we're in the post-formal thought in this stage. And that means that we rely on reflection and, like, personal experiences. And we're aware that life has contradictions. And we're aware that not everything is black and white. And we have kind of more curiosity about things that are happening and why they're happening. That's all in post-formal thought. But I'm not going to go too far into that. Because, like I said, like we have said, we'll do a whole upset on that. Mm -hmm. The next one is redirecting energy to new roles and activities. And (laughs) you said... 
in your stage, the role terms, like right. the role overflow and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I have some too. Role transition, role gain, role loss. So these are things, transition is just what it Cinnamon sounds like. Roll. Cinnamon roll transition. <laughs> it's where you transition it to being on the plate to being in your mouth. <laughs> This, that's also in my stage. <laughs> but this is like what you've talked about, we've talked about before, that each stage kind of overlaps. Mm-hmm. And you like go from this point to this point, kind of doing the same things. Right, right. Just one step further. Exactly. This is that, but in mm-hmm. a different context. Right. Things like role gain can be things like becoming a grandparent, like you talked about, or just taking on different, you know, roles in your community, like becoming a community leader after you retire or things like that. That can be either transition or gain, kind of depending on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. Things like role loss can be losing a partner. It can Mm -hmm. be retiring because our our career is a role. Yeah, that's what that means. And it can be replacing obligation rules with choice rules. Sorry, I can't keep hearing like cinnamon roll. (laughs) Now, a choice roll. That's me. That's my fault. (laughs) Imagine like a A Cinnabon offset with just choice rolls. I love pastries. So so choice (laughs) rolls, R-O-L-E-S, are things like hobbies or volunteering or focusing on our social life because we don't Mm -hmm. have as many obligation things. Right. We're not going to say rules anymore <laughs> as we did before. We're going to say things and stuff now. <laughs> Intergenerational considerations are big here, especially in this part of the stage. And this is fun. I found a list of grandparent styles. Oh, yeah. that should be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is from Newgarten and Weinstein. And in my notes, I wrote 2964 instead of 1964. <laughs> this is a study from the future. Okay. So... There are 1964, so that's a long time ago. I was, yeah, even that, like, yeah. I'm sure that's changed quite a bit. Yeah, because grandparents today often are still in their careers. Yeah. But go on. And they're probably they younger. Yeah, absolutely. So what are they? Okay, so the five that they have are formal, and they're kind of careful not to be too involved. Mm-hmm. That was my grandma. Formal. Yeah. Very, like, strict. Yep. Yep. Second is fun seeker. That would be your grandma, my mother. <laughs> in four. Ah! <laughs> She a fun seeker? Uh, wait, wait till you get, wait till I see the. There's other a better ones. one. Okay, I think there is, but I'll be interested to see what you think. So, fun seeker is what it sounds like. It's informal and playful. Third is also what it sounds like. It's surrogate parent, and that's mm-hmm. where the grandparent steps in the caregiver role a lot. Mm-hmm. You know where, and that happens a lot in our society today. Yeah. The fourth is reservoir of family wisdom. Ooh. Yeah. So okay. So here's my problem with this one is that that is what I would say that Mama was, my grandma. But she was fun, though. Right. The difference is that the Reservoir of Family Wisdom in this, I mean, obviously these are two people who are like, these are what I think grandparents do. (laughs) Like, (laughs) So they said the Family Wisdom one was like an authoritarian, and it like dispenses skills, and that the kids and grandkids are like subordinate to them. Mm. So that's definitely not her. But I do picture her as like a mentor figure. Like the matriarch. Yeah. Uh, person yeah so i think that i don't know these seem my mom was so good she had two (laughs) maybe (laughs) the first hybrid grandma (laughs) what's the last one uh fifth is distant figure so like only sending cards on holidays and stuff which is my my grandparents on the other side just Mm -hmm. because they're so far away from me so those are those are the grandparent styles Mm -hmm. from 60 years ago (laughs) yeah that is a long time it is 
I almost said 40 because I still think we're in 2000. (laughs) And bam, just like that 20 years went by. (laughs) Yeah. I think I was feeling very saucy when I wrote these notes because my next note is there's just five of everything. Because because then the next one I have is the intergenerational solidarity and different family types that there are. Huh. Yes. Oh, but there were five in my thing, too, about the careers. Just five of everything. I know. Hmm. There were five people in my family of origin. <laughs> oh, all the pieces are coming together. <laughs> and oh. now we understand and the universe. Now, click. <laughs> this has been our trailer for the third National Treasure movie. Were there already three of those? <laughs> I've probably been five. I, I wish. <laughs> Love those movies. So what are these five? Okay. So these are family types. Okay. So the first is tight-knit. That's what it sounds like. They're Mm -hmm. like emotionally close. Mm -hmm. Sociable, where that's, they're friendly, but there's not much functional help. So it's not like you could call them if you needed them to come like Mm. help with your car or something. Okay. There's intimate but distant, which is close, but there's not a lot of interaction. Right. You don't see each other very often. Right. Yeah. Right. There's obligatory. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. Sounds nasty. Yeah. So that's where there's close and there's a lot of contact, but they're not emotionally close. Mm. It's just like, okay, we have to get together. People come to mind right away. Okay. Yeah. And then the the fifth is detached. And the way I describe that one is nah. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. 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 And that's just, yeah, just where, like, if you're separating from your family, which, again, there are people that come to my mind for that, where people have had to separate from And sometimes it's for your betterment. Exactly. Exactly. It's a sad thing, but sometimes it's what's necessary in your life. So that's all part of redirecting energy to new roles. Okay. The last one is developing a point of view about death. Ooh, bummer, dude. Again, these keep getting just more ominous. (laughs) I know. I'm so sorry. But this is, like... It could be absorbing losses of loved ones. It could be accepting an inevitability of death for yourself. I mean, you're getting to the stage in your life where you do think about that more often. Well, 60 to 75, you've definitely had some people die. Oh, yeah, for in sure. Your life. Yeah. I mean, you start watching the ob- obituaries to see who's next. Yeah. Like I do this from thing. your high school start. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in that already in the yeah. in the middle of life part where I listen to the obituaries on the radio and, and I do. I listen to the ages and I'm like, okay, well, that one's 84. <laughs> that sounds good. I could do that one. <laughs> and then the next one's like 55 and I'm like, oh. Yeah, not great. <laughs> yeah, so you kind of hope for the higher average. But death anxiety in general is normal. It's a natural thing. I think it's what keeps a lot of us alive is just being scared of death. <laughs> I mean, like... Fear of death keeps me alive. Basically, I mean... (laughs) I'm not going to go there. That's why we don't run out into the street without looking most times. It's just because we are scared of that. Yeah. But when you get to this age, you start thinking more about death, but you're not as threatened by it, even though... I think it's from a self-report. I didn't write down what the study is, but people in this stage think about death more often, like just in general. Mm-hmm. So here are some things that are going to help people lessen their death anxiety, even if they are thinking about death more. One is the development of a generative orientation. So that is what you Comes talked about in last stage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's thinking that you're contributing to the world. You're going to leave something behind that is important. Yeah, you're not yeah. just going to disappear when you die. Right. Uh, having some kind of religion or spirituality is is good on this. And this this is ding whatever. ding ding. 
You mean God? Is that what you're talking about? I do mean God, but it doesn't have to be God. No, absolutely not. I mean, there are all kinds of different spiritualities. Yep, just for me, it's God. It's all right. I know you love him, too. I I love God, too. I just don't talk about him on the podcast. He knows. It's fine. (laughs) You do a shout out for your friends. You know, I think there's a verse in the Bible about praying behind closed doors or whatever. (laughs) It doesn't say anything about the Bible about saying his name on your podcast. Don't start quoting the Bible, girl. <laughs> Using the Lord's name in vain. In vain means on your podcast. I don't think so. Good grief. We're pretty vain to have a podcast. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it's fair. Having a strong support system, obviously, is very important. And again, like Mom talked about in the last one, this doesn't necessarily have to mean kids and right. grandkids. It could mean social support systems and mm-hmm. and, and co-worker, like ex-co-workers and support systems that way. So just wherever you find that fulfillment. But some kind of support system is important. Yes. At all ages, actually. I would say more than important. It's necessary. Yeah. Like, you need it. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when it comes to that death fear, for some people, it's the fear of dying alone. So we, we keep our support systems close to us. And then a strong sense of self-worth. So just having a good concept about yourself and mm-hmm. beliefs about yourself. So those are the tasks. The psychosocial crisis is integrity versus despair, which are just words, wow. right? Integrity means the ability to accept the facts of your life and to face death without that great fear mm-hmm. and to integrate basically events that have happened in your life with the hopes and dreams that people have earlier in their life, kind of before this mm-hmm. stage. Just because you get to this stage doesn't mean you stop having goals and hopes and dreams. It's just being able to reconcile that with what's going on now in your life. And this doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, no regrets. I have no regrets about what has happened. Like, everyone's going to have regrets. Everybody has something, yeah. smacked my leg. I know, I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, there's there's always going to be regrets. I regret hitting my leg so hard (laughs) just then. But the trick here is to be able to look back at those regrets and being able to accept them as choices and experiences that you had. Uh Things like, okay, those things happened. How do I move forward with them? Part of your life resume. Yeah. And then despair. Oh, that word just has so much power. It's a bad word. Yeah. The book says that this is likely to happen. Shut up, book. We're not here for that. For like everybody? Yeah. uh, Like it's likely to end in this. I know. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Screw you, book. We are talking about the healthiest person who's going to go through all the stages entirely well. This is when it's hard to reconcile like your whole life of what a person can see as regrets and like the inability to accept those regrets. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's the opposite of the last thing. And this is where depression is likely to happen. Mm -hmm. Ageism really doesn't help where, you know, you're getting to the stage and you're already kind of struggling with your identity and your self-concepts. And then society is treating you like you're lesser because of your age. Have you noticed that there have been a lot of movies lately that are about older people doing crazy wild things and defying ageism? Like Name three. Okay, there's this one that's out (laughs) right now. I don't know the exact name of it, but it's about these older women who are like in a home and they're going to like enter a pom-pom contest. Okay. And they're dancing. And then there was that one not too long ago with, I know Morgan Freeman was in it because I love Morgan Freeman. Well, he was in that one too, which is another one. (laughs) Morgan Freeman just just does a whole lot. Well, because he's old. Yeah. And so the other one was there's these four guys and they're like robbing a bank or something. I didn't see the okay. movie, but it's like older guys. Right. And so they're what I, I've really noticed, and maybe it's because from, you know, I'm getting older 
too is that all of a sudden these great actors are all aging and so they're making these movies there's that what was that the expendables or something yeah where there's all like these old farts doing action movies um red you know is another one oh yeah ever see those movies red with bruce willis aging bruce willis never ages take that back no yeah he's (laughs) okay with me but you know as those actors those great actors age it's like they've been creating these roles for them yeah. to show that life doesn't end because you get old there's new we'll stuff. notice that only one of those things you mentioned had women involved yeah that's really true and they, that you know, that men well that red older. has a couple of women in it does it well one at least i do one. not have any knowledge of that movie it's a good movie you should okay. there's actually like a one two and maybe a three at oh. least a one and a two <laughs> there's three of everything <laughs> or National five treasure or five <laughs> there's either three or one, five five something like that but yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, so the process by which we solve this crisis is introspection. Hmm. It's just self-evaluating. It's um, kind of relying on our own private thoughts. Reminiscing is big in this process. It kind of lets us look at past events, withdraw from them. So like be able to reminisce and then step back from them and let those be in the past. And say like, that happened to me. And then finding closure in accepting those things. Mm-hmm. The ego quality here is wisdom. It's a good one, right? I like that one. Yeah, I like that one. And this is often associated with old wise mentor type. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I, th- I think in a lot of movies where there's a role for an older person, that's where they fall. Mm-hmm. The old wise, I mean, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi type. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, this wisdom is associated with sound judgment and good advice about like planning and managing and like understanding when there's high levels of uncertainty because frankly in this stage you're dealing with high levels of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I mean you're dealing with like the certainty of death but the uncertainty of what you're going to do with your finances and time and roles and all this stuff. So there's a lot of kind of things up in the air in this. You would think that this is a stage where everything is settled but it kind of goes the opposite way. Yeah. There's also a desire to learn and communicate essential life ideas to the younger generation, which I think ties into that generativity that you talked about is contributing to when you're gone by helping the people coming up, not just people who are related to you, but just the younger generation. Right. And then there's the pathology of disdain. Ooh. Right? The words, they keep getting just more and more serious. Disdain is the rejection of ideas and people. It's kind of arrogance feeling like your own opinions and ideas are superior Mm. it is the like the book talks about it being a defensive response to a perception that you have a failed past hmm. so so kind of i think it's overcompensation right, right. And saying That's like what i, I was have just thinking. so many regrets and i have so many mm. things that i don't like about my life that now i am so much better and all my ideas are the best right so there's that and all of you people don't know anything and that leads us to our last stage. Oh, ha, praise God. You, the last stage. You losers thought I was done talking and I'm not. <laughs> I have a whole nother stage. Ha ha. Suckers. Make it quick, Anna. Make it quick. Elderhood. 75 to death, basically. 75 to I'm going to live to be 98. That's what I'm shooting for. <laughs> That's a very specific 98. number. Why don't you just shoot to 100? Uh, I don't, don't want to be all like, Ooh, I'm 100. Trip dig. I will if God wants me to, but you know, 98 okay. sounds good. Okay, we'll leave it to him. <laughs> so the crisis for this one is possibly my favorite word, and it's immortality versus extinction. Ouch. I know. Ugh. Okay, first, I know you said to be quick, but I do have to. <laughs> but I'm not going to But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> this. I'm going to eat some chocolate. Okay. The last stage. We, we save our chocolate for the last stage. <laughs> Screw it. Let's we bought these chocolate. chocolates that are like Bailey's chocolate. So we they have, have Bailey's like in the middle. Them, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. hmm. 
They don't taste like alcohol. Oh my, oh my goodness. These are very good. They are good. They taste expensive, don't they? <laughs> We're not used to that. <laughs> <laughs> this is some classy stuff. <laughs> okay, so Jim Hainan in 1990 interviewed 100 people over 100. Wow. And he asked them, like, how they live to be the age they are. And they said lots of alcohol. <laughs> A lot of them did. Hey, hey. The kitty wants to see out the window, get, and Anna won't let her. Get, so well, mean. I don't know how to fix that blind. No! <laughs> Pickle says, I'm going in! She just she tried to jump. Aw, buddy, we're Aww. not laughing with you. We're laughing at you. Come on. She's like, I she do just not like you totally anymore. biffed it against the wall. So, Jim Hainan. Mind your own business, have a good cigar, and take a shot of brandy, says Brother Adelard Baudet. I like that. I've lived long because I was so mean, <laughs> says a woman named Pearl. You know, my grandmother lived to be 101. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> she was a tough old broad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always walked several miles a day. I'd talk to the flowers, Aww. says Mary Frances Annan. Mary Frances, that's why she talked to flowers. Mary Frances, yeah, she's a nun. Mm-hmm. One person, Stella H., says, I picked my ancestors carefully. Mm. Interesting. That's <laughs> a very wise comment, isn't it? I like that, that one a lot. That sounds like a person with wisdom. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sounds very like Zen. Yes. Then the last one is John Hilton. Regular hours, taking it easy, smiling, whistling at the women as they walk by. <laughs> well, John, that's harassment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all it's right. It's a all generational right, right. difference. Elderhood, developmental tasks. I'm feeling it. <laughs> You're feeling elderhood. <laughs> First one is coping with physical changes of aging, which mm-hmm. I, I believe. to get old. Yep. This starts earlier than 75, I think. Amen. This is, <laughs> Okay. I'm not making this up. Disclaimer. The book talks about young old versus old old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people may not believe that. That's a thing. So this isn't so much about chronological age. It's instead about like how we're aging. It's about ability. Like old old is people who have suffered major physical or mental deterioration. And mm-hmm. they can't do a lot of functions as well as they used to. Or young old is the opposite of that. Where right. you are more kind of physically fit as you get older. So... The physical changes in aging can be prevented or even like reversed by things like good fitness and getting good rest, but insomnia is super common when you get older, so mm-hmm. that's that's really tough to kind of find that good rest and good fitness. But there are things that just happen as we age. So things like slower processing and reaction times, like I mentioned before, those just come naturally and we have to adapt to that. We also have sensory loss. We have losses of vision and hearing and taste and all that stuff. Like those things naturally deteriorate as we get older. Our bodies are wearing out. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you get you have to stop eating your, your favorite foods. You may just have to spice it a bit more. Like you just have to again, it's about adapting to why do you why are you laughing at spices? That just seemed funny to me. I don't know. Thanks. Put some extra spice in there. Just put some spices in. I don't know. <laughs> do do what I do and you don't know what all the spices mean. You just throw some on. It's fine. It'll probably end out fine. The next one is developing a psychohistorical perspective. Wow. This is integrating your past, your present, your future, and kind of being able to consider the context and uncertainties 
when it comes to making sense of the challenges you faced in your life. Hmm. So being able to look back at your whole life and having a more complete kind of seeing the forest for the trees situation of, okay, I know that's probably a regret I have, but in the moment it made sense because of these reasons and just being able to put everything, like all the puzzle pieces into place of your life and being able to know why your life went the way it did and just being able to kind of accept that and being able to look at it with kind of a change mindset, like realizing the change is inevitable and being able to see the conditions of continuity and change, not only in our own life, but kind of in the world. Mm-hmm. Like being able to see how the world is changing around us as well and being able to see why that's happening. Yeah. I think that's because when you get to this stage, when you get to elderhood, you're more removed yeah. because you are kind of discriminated against because of your age. So because you're on the outskirts. You're, you're just able, kind of put out there. Yeah, and... you're able to look in and yeah. kind of see with more objective eye. And then there's only three developmental tasks. Thank God, right? Because we're done, man. Because <laughs> we're done. <laughs> the last developmental task we're going to talk about is life structures in elderhood. And this is about establishing your sense of self to compensate for losing certain life roles. So, like, when you lose your partner, you, you lose the life role of being a spouse. Mm-hmm. When you're probably retired by this time, so you're losing the role of whatever you were doing as a career. So you're using this freedom to create your kind of own structure. Because there's very few behavioral norms and responsibilities for elderhood. So mm-hmm. it's freewheeling, baby. Like, Mm -hmm. you just get to choose what you're doing, and you get to choose how you're acting, and there's, like, I don't want to say very little consequence, but kind (laughs) of. Like, that. this is that that typical trope of, like, old people saying whatever they want. I'm going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought you were saying that, like, I'm going to do that in the next three years. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm starting early. (laughs) Starting right now. (laughs) I'm not going to wait till elder elderhood. I'm going to start, like, at 60. So surveys of elderly people. Oh, yeah. The book kept saying old people. Just old. Like they kept using the phrase really? old people. <laughs> Is that okay? I don't think that's, that seems harsh, right? <laughs> I'm going to say elderly people. Well, we call young people young people. So it's fair to say I think, old well, people. Well, I think it's because of the discrimination of old. It just depends on where old starts. What is old? Is 60 old? Is 70 old? Is 80 old? That's a good point. I mean, they said, yeah, they, they said a survey of old people. I'm not kidding. <laughs> they said that there's this kind of internal code of conduct for when you get older that includes being sociable, active, and independent, which all contribute to successful living later in life. So again, there's not a lot of kind of societal norms for that, but there's this internal sense mm-hmm. of what we need to do to be successful as we get older. This is also a desire to preserve a sense of control and agency despite all these things that we're going through, like health problems, loss of loved ones. Often poverty comes into play here just because of the financial constraints. Mm-hmm. So we are struggling to, talking, I'm saying we, I'm using the pack plural here. Yes. And again, I think with our society, some people get to this earlier than others. So mm-hmm. I think 75 sounds a little late for this if we're talking about people retiring at 60 well, or so. my mom died when she was 75. Right. So she didn't even get to do this stage. Right. Yeah. So the desire to preserve the sense of control comes here and just trying to still have a hold on your life even though you're kind of losing your sense of independence. Mm-hmm. This includes like living arrangements and figuring out if you're going to live alone, if you're going to live in assisted living, if you're going to live with relatives. I mean, 
It's a struggle for so many elderly people, that idea of going into a nursing home. Right. So many of them struggle with that. Yeah, well, I think it's, they feel like it's giving up. Mm -hmm. They feel like, Well, it's losing all your independence. Yeah. I mean, and that's so hard. But I also think that you don't go to a nursing home unless you really, that's kind of the choice that's You don't have a choice, yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's where that kind of feeling of loss of control comes in. Mm -hmm. Feeling like, well, this is the only option I have. And in this stage, there's also li- like life structures. When we talk about that, we also talk about romance and sexuality. I mean, if mm. we've lost a partner, then, you know, many people still want companionship. So they're going to be still going on dates and still, you know, being out there. What? <laughs> My dad. Yeah, that was definitely <laughs> Papa. He was a player. <laughs> yeah. Right until the end. <laughs> he was. So the psychosocial crisis in this stage, like I said, immortality versus extinction immortality this isn't necessarily like staying alive forever but that helps if you can, <laughs> if you can figure out how to do that you, you have that, yeah. you have successfully mm-hmm. <laughs> done this stage <laughs> but it it means living on right it means living through children or living through future generations a lot of people this is where like afterlife or like a spiritual plane of existence comes into play right often creative achievements come into play like leaving something behind that is you know i there's that saying that's like you suffer two deaths like one when you die and the second when your name is uttered for the last time or something so it's kind of just living on through the things that you put into the world right participating in the chain of nature is one of them so and to me that's spiritual too because some people are like well when i die i'll become part of the earth and then i'm still living on Mm -hmm. to me that's spiritual but but i mean it's natural i suppose (laughs) yeah 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 experiential transcendence Ooh. yeah i don't know what that means so we're gonna go buy it (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's the thing that was in the book and I wrote it down, and I wrote down, what does this mean? And then I just kept going. I think it just means transcending your physical body. And right. To me, but again, to me, that's spiritual. That's a spiritual thing. But that's so. like, you know, when dad did move into his assisted living place in his 80s, he left all of his, and he made a big deal about it. It kind of hurt my feelings at first. He left all his pictures behind in the house. Mm-hmm. He left kind of most of his experiential trappings, you know, oh, the pictures of his yeah. life and all that. He kind of left it behind because it was time to transcend. Move on. Yeah. So that's kind of an, a stage like that, I think. Right. And when at the time it kind of hurt my feelings, but now when I look back on it, I understand it better. You were just kind of letting go of the yeah. physical. Yeah. He was just letting go of that and moving on to the next stage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Which is a cool thing to be able to do. Right. Because we do tend to hold on. And the other side of that is my grandmother, who I remember very clearly saying to me when she was like 95 years old, I will never leave this property. This property that I live on is my, you know, I'm not going to let go This is the house this. you currently live yeah. in, correct? <laughs> I had to pry her So up. anyway, <laughs> she's haunting you for sure. She's okay. I told her I would take care of it. She's all right now. I tell her to shut up every night. We're fine. I said, look, everything's okay, Grandma. <laughs> and then extinction. Is the opposite of that. It's mm-hmm. feeling like you are bound by the limits of your life. And that the end of life equals the end of You're you. Done. Yep. The end of motion and the end of attachment and the end of change. Like just the end of everything. It's, That's a horrible it's a thought. It's a very bleak outlook. Yeah. yeah. That fills me with fear. Well, it's the fear that your life will amount to nothing. Yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with that fear way before this stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what a lot of... a lot The of, middle life. Yeah. yeah. The, the like identity and the, and the figuring out what you're going to do with your life. The industry versus inferiority. I mean, that's fear that your life will amount to nothing. I mean, a lot of those play into that fear. 
the process by which we figure this out is social support. So like we said, that is essential. I mean, it's vital. And it's exactly what it sounds like, feeling like you're cared for and you're loved. And this includes both socio-emotional support, so people being there for you and caring about you emotionally, but also instrumental, which means practical, which means who's the one who's going to help you move into the nursing home. Right, right. And who's the one who's going to take you to your doctor's appointments and stuff like that. So that's, that's being cared for and being loved. If you do this well, if you have more immortality, if you have immortality, the ego quality is confidence or you're a vampire or you're a vampire i mean yeah you you nailed it you nailed the psychosocial crises i'm gonna do a study on like the, what psychosocial crises the the vampires have when they get to like their 300th year do they just start over do they have to go like all back to trust versus mistrust in like their 300th year but the ego quality is confidence. And this is just confidence in yourself and being assured that life has meaning and kind of confidence in how you see yourself and your impact on the world. And on the other hand, the pathology is diffidence. An overwhelming self-doubt that makes it hard to act. It's just a hopelessness. And what a terrible thing at the end of life to have that. To have hopelessness, I know. That's awful. And to be leaving the world with that, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's so don't it. do that. Um, we're done. With psychosocial Ugh. crises. Okay, we've ah. learned an important lesson here on Freudian Sips, and that's never <laughs> to do a series this long again. This is the last time we'll be doing this from now on. We're just doing one-shots, baby. But what I'm hoping is that you, as listeners, don't have that same exhaustion that we have. <laughs> yeah. We're well, prepping we've, for we've it. We've had to research it and yeah. stuff. So, so hopefully This has been our life it. for like six yeah, weeks. Yeah. <laughs> We read a textbook for you guys. But we are so glad. So glad that you were with us on this journey through the stages. Very much. Eric Erickson. Very much. Hamburgers. Yeah. Eric Hamburger Erickson. Yep. So we thank our listeners. Yeah. Do you want to do do. that? I will thank them (laughs) because I will say thank you for being with us on this journey, on this life stages journey. The life journey. The journey. That that favorite, my favorite quote that says, we are all just walking each other home. My favorite quote from The Lion King that says, <laughs> Told you we would keep singing. Yeah, we're just going to keep singing even if it pisses people off. Especially if it pisses people off. If that off. annoys you, we're going to sing twice as much. So yeah. hey. So hey. <laughs> Bite that. Um, but no, seriously. Bite that. <laughs> That's our first t-shirt. Bite that. Freudian sips. We are so glad that you're with us because we get a little sassy. And we appreciate that you put up with us when we're in our sassy. Yeah, thank you. The sassy usually comes toward the end after we've finished our drinks for the day. Right. So we appreciate you for being with us and sitting. Or whenever I say anything, your mom calls me sassy. She is sassy. (laughs) She just gave me such a serious. All all mirth left her face when she said that. Her smile dropped and she said, you are sassy. (laughs) And I'm sticking to it. All right. Okay. So did thank you, you for being with us. Them? I okay. think I did. Yes. Okay. You can find us as always on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all by the name Freudian Sips Pod, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com, which I have been such a slacker in updating lately. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm trying to get it all caught up. 
Uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, if you want to send us nice messages or if you want to send us ideas for future episodes now that we're not in the series that never ends, then you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon if you want to throw a few bucks our way. We are FreudianSipsPod on there as well. Please remember that wherever you're listening, if you can, leave us a nice rating and review. Please do that. And like Miss Emily did. Yeah, like, like Miss Emily Lily did. Thank and we you. might read it on air just because we love yeah, we're, that. We're, I'm going to read them ten times if they're nice. <laughs> if they're mean, maybe. If they're mean, I'm going to cry and then forget I saw it. That's how I handle it. But be honest. But be honest. That's true. <laughs> if we have constructive criticism, give it to us. That's right. fine. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.